On the Bill Kelly Podcast, I'm guest host Shona Thompson. Today, Doug Ford may not be too happy about a report that's about to be released publicly. It's the Auditor General's report, and it's said to be a close look at the Greenbelt Development Plan. We'll speak with Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, covering Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. The unemployment rate ticked up for a third month in a row. What's that going to mean as far as the soft landing is concerned? And how will it impact the coming Bank of Canada rate announcement? Marvin Ryder of the DeGroote School of Business will give us his take. And the CAA has a report saying about half of us think speeding is a big problem on our roads. Only half? We'll find out more from Michael Stewart of the CAA. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts right now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The latest checkup of provincial spending by the Auditor General is done. It's not expected to be made public for a week or two. Still, Doug Ford's office has a copy already. The Financial Accountability Office is out with its report this week that the Ford government spent $1.7 billion less than planned on health care in the last fiscal. And while ERs are closing temporarily in some cases and contract talks have been dragging, it it raises an eyebrow or two. Joining us now is Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, covering both Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. Morning, Richard. Roshana, how are you? I'm good, but you know what? I want to know more about Auditor General Bonnie Lissick's report, which is due out soon, and we understand that the Premier's office got an advanced copy. Yeah, naturally they, they would be tipped off to it, but uh, I think the Premier is quite concerned about this report. I But remember, Bonnie Lissick is almost finished her last term. I think she's done uh, at the end of August. And I don't think she's going to pull any punches in this one, Shauna. (laughs) It's going to be very interesting. I think she'll really point to some very curious things that went on between developers and his government. Maybe not him directly, but how these developers suddenly found out to go and buy these pieces of property that they knew was going to be pulled out of the green belt and developed. All very interesting. All very interesting. And uh, none the least of which in all of this is the fact that Bonnie Lissick and Doug Ford, well, they've been at lockerheads a few times. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, they have, you know, but again, it, it all depends on who's in government. They love Bonnie Lissick when they were in opposition. Because she was just as hard on the liberals as she, you know, as she was any other government. So, but now that, that now that they're in power, they're, uh, you know, they don't like some of the reports that uh, she's coming out with. In fact, the, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, the premier said she had no right to look into this matter of uh, developers and land. It just wasn't her, her uh, bailiwick, quite frankly, and which, I, th- I think it is. A lot of other people would think it would be. And we'll we'll see. But he's he's quite concerned about this because there's a couple things going on here. You know, the, the there's this this issue will not die. The, the whole green belt and ripping thousands of of uh, hectares or acres, I should say, out of the green belt to have it developed for for their housing plan. Well, that and just recently giving the the king's council to uh, people within his government. Uh, that's a special designation for lawyers. 
Yeah, he's there's a there's quite a few uh, irons in the fire that don't look good for him right at the moment. And this is a this uh, report could be damning. There's no question. I know where that's always we love to say another damning report, but boy, this one has a potential for it. Well, it almost seems like the people who are trying to sell the greenbelt development plan. Um, they're almost trying to make it seem like there's nowhere else for us to build. And that's not true. Nobody's buying that. And the other thing, Sean, have you ever asked yourself, when they say, well, we're going to build affordable housing, and I have yet had anybody from the government explain to me what affordable housing means. Uh, building a, you know, a, a 3,600 or 4,000 square foot home you know, somewhere out in uh, lovely uh, Vaughn or where, wherever the heck it's going to be. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's, that doesn't strike me as affordable. Or and especially it, if you need a special highway belt just to access some of those lands. Well, yes, that's, you know, for God, we don't want these uh, folks living up there in these estates to have to travel, the, you know, the 401 and, and slow them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 403, I'm glad you brought that up. Not the 403, it's 413. 413. I'm yes. glad you brought that up because that's that's another issue that just won't die. No. And from what I understand, the amount of time that's going to be saved on the commute by using the 413 is only about 30 seconds. Isn't that something? 30 seconds. Yeah. That's from the government's own reporting as well. But the, the Greenbelt <laughs> deals, it's also the focus of uh, of a report and an examination by Integrity Commissioner David Wake. So that's another reason why it's not going to be, uh, it's not going well, to go yeah, away very soon. And there was a, there, uh, Shana, there was a, uh, at one point, the OPP were looking into this as well. This, uh, this uh, development fiasco. And I don't know where that sits. I don't know if they're still doing it or, or they've, they've determined that there's nothing to look at. Uh, that, but again, that's, that's a kind of a, a third leg to this stool. And I don't know where it's at. Well, we haven't heard that they've dropped the investigation. Yeah, no, well, we'll see. I mean this this is a this is a big problem for Doug Ford, and he knows it, and and that's why he's a there's alarm bells going on at Queens Park. Believe me. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned before, the timing of the purchase of some of the lands that were involved in the Greenbelt expansion for development, um, you know, there, there's no such thing as a coincidence, and nobody is buying that it could even possibly be one. I don't know. that the, the Ford government must think we're all idiots, that we can't see through this. I mean, it's as plain as the nose in your face that somebody somehow found out about this and is is making a heck of a lot of money out of this leak or whatever you want to call it, or where they just handed this gift. People, there's lots of people out there that believe that the only people that the government's worried about right now are developers. And I, I know that we've got some subjects coming up that will uh, maybe underscore that. Absolutely. We're speaking with Richard Brennan, who's a former journalist with the Toronto Star. He covered both Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. Uh, I mentioned in the uh, in the intro, and I wanted to get your take on this, the Financial Accountability Office is out with a report this week that the Ford government spent $1.7 billion less than planned on health care in the last, uh, last fiscal. And, and it seems to be part of this trend of underspending that started really 
back in fiscal 2019-2020? Well, I think you mentioned it off the top. You know, we have we have uh, emergency rooms closing on weekends or uh, periods of time because they just can't afford to keep them open. They don't have the staff to uh, man it. This is this is a <laughs> it's a huge story, and I don't know if it's really gotten traction. But that same accountability officer not long ago mentioned that he, that the Ford government is sitting on twenty two billion that's a billion with a B dollars that's unaccounted for that you know it hasn't been put into any particular program so. And, and now we find out that he, they understand on health care. This is all part of a, a political shell game that's often played. Prior to an election, they're, they're socking money away wherever they can and underspending wherever they can so they can come out in the next election and puff their chest out and say, look at all this money we saved. And we have actually, we are closer, we have balanced the budget. This is, this is exactly what this is all about. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's also interesting, you know, you're talking about how much money overall they're sitting on at $22 billion, uh, that they had underspent. Uh, they underspent during the pandemic on health care, during the pandemic, by $8.6 billion. And that you hear Doug Ford saying, you know, we need more money from the federal government about all of this, uh, which uh, they needed to spend on health care. But, uh, you know, it isn't spending the money it has. John, much of this money is money that the federal government gave the province during the pandemic. And they didn't spend it. The accountability officer also noted that. It's uh, it's 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 hard to believe it. You know, I mean, I, I often say our health care is circling the drain. That may be an overstated. But if you work, if you ask people who work in the health care system, they might agree with me that they're desperate. They're desperate for money. They're desperate to hire staff. And here we have a government that's underspending in health care just on the heels of a pandemic. Exactly. It's a head scratcher. Well, it also supports the call that the crisis in health care is manufactured with indicators that the Ford government wants to go towards a two-tier health care system. Well, there, there's certainly that, that group of people that believe that in their heart of hearts, that this government is trying to create a crisis, if you will. Is that from way back in the hair? I'm stealing that from way back from the Harris years. They create a crisis so they can they can say, well, We've got a problem here, and we've got a solution. And this is health care delivered by private companies. Not it isn't public health or private health care because they'll say you still you know you still pay with your you know your health card and not a credit card. But it takes it takes it out of the hands of the public process, the hospitals, you know, health units, et cetera, et cetera. And it puts it into the hands of the private sector. And we then we lose all control over that. That's what the main issue. And that is a slippery slope. That is the that is the wedge in the door. Okay, this is, you know, they'll come out and they'll say, well, this is working. This is great. Maybe we make should take that next step, which would be to bring in private health care. 
Yeah, uh, it, it reminds me of that old uh, analogy of the uh, frog in a pot of water that slowly boils. But Richard, we've got to leave it there for this week. I wanted to thank you for your time and, and your insights as always. Thank you very much. You have a good weekend. You too. Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, covering both Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Stats Canada says employment was little changed last month as the economy lost a modest 6,400 jobs. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate ticked up to 5.5% amid some population growth. And July is the third consecutive month that the unemployment rate has risen. But what is all this going to mean to the economy overall? That's why we're in touch with Marvin Ryder, a professor at the DeGroote School of Business, because he makes sense of all of this stuff for us. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning, Shauna. Um, So the expectation was for the economy to have added 25,000 jobs. That's not what happened. No, if you don't mind, let me put this in even a bit bigger context, and then we'll come back to that specific question. Okay. Uh, As you know, the big enemy, the the thing that we're all trying to fight is inflation. The Bank of Canada has been doing that over the last year and a half by raising interest rates. Now, there are two schools of thought among economists around how do you defeat inflation. There is one school that says you have to reboot the economy, just like you turn your computer on and off. We've got to reboot the economy, and you do that by causing a recession. And a recession is usually accompanied by a a dramatic, a dramatic increase in the number of people who are unemployed. Uh, There's another school of thought, and this is actually the one adopted by the Bank of Canada, that they could slow the economy, cool the economy, but stop short of causing of a recession. Just calm everything down. That will break the back of, of inflation, and then we'll all be okay, what we call the soft landing. So we watch this unemployment data every month to try to figure out which of those two scenarios is likely going to happen. And um, last month, for instance, the economy added a few jobs. I think it was 17,000. This month, it's lost 6,000. Really, to me, that tells me that that second scenario, the soft landing, is the one that is more logical. now. When you poll people, we know that in the summer, uh, a lot of people take vacations. So companies hire temporary workers to fill in behind those people. Forgive me, but of course, you're filling in for Bill Kelly while he's (laughs) on a vacation. So it's that kind of a thing that's going on. We were expecting a few more jobs added, but 6,000, that just tells me everything's at a steady state. We're not really growing a lot. We're not really shrinking a lot. And it seems like the Bank of Canada's plan is coming true. Well, how much of this, uh, the modest loss of jobs, how much of that was due to uh, a population expansion? Well, that's the other side of this, is that when we look at the inflation rate, or excuse me, the unemployment rate, it's not strictly the number of jobs out there, but how many people you have looking for those jobs. And as I think most of your listeners know, Canada has chosen to embrace a very aggressive immigration strategy. This year, we're looking to add nearly 500,000 immigrants. Now, Canada is now a country of 40 million people. 500,000 is a 1% increase in the size of our population. And we're doing that, by the way, because people are just not having children. So that if those of us who are approaching our senior years still want all of those nice benefits, we need other younger people to be working to support that pyramid. So some of this is the impact of, of immigration. We tend to get more immigrants arriving in Canada in the warmer months, the summer months, than we do during the winter months. 
So even if we were to generate some more jobs, uh, we're going to have more people who need those jobs. In this case, we did lose a few jobs, and we why it ticked up from 5.4 to 5.5% is strictly around population. Okay. Um, one of the other things that was released by StatsCan this morning was a wage growth. They said it bounced back last month, um, rising around 5% year over year. And that's one of the other factors uh, that we've been hearing from the Bank of Canada with regards to uh, inflation overall. That Tiff Macklin, the governor of the Bank of Canada, was saying, you know what, you've got to control some of your wage demands if we're going to get through this. Right. So so Mr. Macklem has no problem with the idea of people catching up. Uh, obviously, a year ago, it was in June of, of 2022, that inflation hit over 8%. Uh, and people said, wait a minute, 8% inflation. I, I need some wage catch up here. Otherwise, I'm losing ground in the, in the battle. So I don't think he necessarily has a problem with that. And when we see a number like that that says that wages grew in the month of July 5%, that clearly tells me there is some catch-up. The problem would be then if you bake that in, what does that mean? Well, we do have some people on strike. These people on strike are looking for three or four-year contracts. And if they were to settle for a 5% increase for four years in a row, let's say, then now you're baking in this rate of inflation. You're actually causing inflation in the future. So the first year of a four-year contract, no problem that you've got to have some catch-up. But then going beyond that, remember that right now our inflation rate is running at 2.8%. And remember, again, that Bank of Canada is trying to bring that down closer to two so that in year two and three and four of a contract, we'd like to see wages going up at a much lower rate. And that's the dynamic that's going on. It's why we have the summer of strikes here in Ontario. Well, and, and in two cases, certainly uh, with the B.C. port workers, as well as the metro workers in the Toronto area, um, the membership has sent a contract back. Now, we don't have the details of why that was sent back and they continued on with strikes in two cases. But it would be interesting to see if uh, wages over two, three, four years had something to do with it. Well, the big one in the metro situation, bring it close to home here, there's 3,700 workers at uh, 27 locations that are on strike. They've made it very clear that this is all about money. Uh, during the pandemic, they received a $2 an hour wage increase. It was a so-called hero bonus for continuing to pro provide service during the pandemic. But last year, 2022, that $2 an hour bonus was withdrawn, and they went back to their more typical wage, which is around $17 an hour. The rank and file have said, you want us to end the strike, give us $2 an hour. Well, again, to put that in context, that would be a wage increase of about 12%. Uh, that, that would be a lot. Now, if that's spread over four years, okay, that's not so much. But if it's a first year, it's 12%. Oh, my gosh, here we go. Where do we get those inflationary pressures? Well, it's also interesting that uh, during the uh, um, during this labor dispute at Metro stores, Metro usually reports their second quarter numbers in July, and they haven't reported anything yet, and we're in August. Right. And we, we think, uh, again, the, based on what happened with Loblaws, Loblaws saw their profit go up by 31%. You and I chatted about that earlier this week. Uh, and, and we also saw executive compensation go up in the case of Loblaws. It really weakens your negotiating position. If you say the cupboard is bare, we can't afford to give you the $2 an hour. But by the way, our profit went up 73% or making up some number like that, that would weaken your position. So I'm sure they've delayed it until they can get uh, labor harmony uh, 
to your listeners, you know, we could also say, look, $2 an hour on, on a base of 17, although it seems like a big increase, boy, you know, again, these workers showed such heroism during the pandemic. Maybe they are entitled to it. And, and maybe this is the year that the CEO could take a little smaller increase. And also considering most of those workers are part-timers. Absolutely. And so, uh, again, I think that even would surprise people when we say there's 3,700 workers at 2700, uh, 27 locations. That means there's more than 100 workers for each store. Those, those aren't all full-time workers. And so many workers at, in a grocery store working at more or less minimum wage, a little more than minimum wage, actually hold two or three of those kinds of jobs to generate enough money to support their families. So it, it's not an unreasonable thing that the metro workers are asking for. Um, but again, the question that the Bank of Canada would say, don't make that a $2 an hour increase for each year of a four-year contract. Spread that out a little bit, then you're not going to be inflationary. We're speaking with Marvin Ryder, who is a professor at the DeGroot School of Business. Marvin, just within the last hour or so, we've had word that TELUS Corporation is going to be cutting 6,000 jobs. How is that going to impact uh, with the unemployment numbers? Well, probably nothing right away. I, I haven't read all of the details, but I believe that those, those jobs are going to be lost over a period of time. It's not going to be tomorrow, for instance. Um, is that a sign of uh, uh, the economy getting weak? Is that the sign of a recession? I'm going to say to you, no. I think that has a lot more to do with the business dynamics in the cell phone world and in this uh, telecommunications world. The merger of Shaw and Rogers has put a lot of pressure on the other companies. And of course, you and I want things like cell phone rates to go down. One of the things they've got to do is cut their overhead. So I think that's more about that than necessarily uh, uh, going to see a big jump in the unemployment rate. Well, getting back to the unemployment rate and and what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, uh, what do you think this is all going to do um, in terms of the Bank of Canada and its next rate announcement? Right. So that's a, a little over a month away. It'll happen on Wednesday after uh, Labor Day. I think that's something like September the 7th. Uh, my feeling is it's going to be a pause, no increase. Uh, and really now the question is not how many more increases are there going to be, but when are they going to start to cut the rate? Uh, we're going to watch here in about two weeks when we get the inflation numbers for July. Has inflation fallen yet again? If so, then I'm sure we're going to have the hold in Labor Day, but we may we may see the Bank of Canada even start to cut rates before the year is out. Most of us think those rate cuts will be the story of 2024. We won't see them until next year, but that's really the question now. I don't think there's going to be any more increases. When do we start to see them fall? When is the battle against inflation declared over? And, and I'm hoping that might be in the next couple or three months. That would be interesting. But it always seems like when the bank rate goes up, the mortgage companies and the banks are really quick to raise their rates. When the mortgage, when the bank rate comes down, it's a little bit slower. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And uh, even a better example would be credit card rates, which you can ask yourself, why are they at 24 uh, percent? Just a couple of years ago, when we were in the midst of the pandemic, uh, interest rates, just the general interest rate was like a half a percent. Why are the credit cards so high? Uh, and they just don't seem to, to move the same way. Shona, there is one little footnote, of course, to the story. If you happen to be one of those senior individuals, retired individuals, and if you were fortunate enough to, to put aside some savings, it has been glorious for you going to a bank, looking at something like a guaranteed investment certificate, where just a couple of years ago, 
you'd be lucky to get a 1% guaranteed uh, investment certificate giving you a return on your money. Now you can go to a bank and you get talking about a 5% return. Uh, Many seniors are quietly, quietly thrilled at the interest rate increases. In their situation, they're not, of course, borrowing to buy a home, but they're uh, living on a fixed income and their fixed income has gone up. A little bit, yeah. I mean, for years, GICs were just a parking spot for your for your money. Now, at least you're able to make a little bit. Absolutely. And so, for seniors, again, when you're when you're a senior, you don't want to invest necessarily in the stock market. That's risky. You don't want to see your nest egg shrink. So, you like something that's guaranteed. It's nice to see the guaranteed rates a little higher. So, my advice to any senior who's listening to us: if you have a chance to lock a little of that money in say 5% for the next five years, I think you're going to look back and think that would be a brilliant move on your part. Marvin, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Glad to be with you, Shona. Marvin Ryder is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are about at the halfway point of summer, and this long weekend is one of the busiest driving weekends of the summer. The OPP going to have a special enforcement this weekend. Part of the big four infractions that police will be looking for is speeding and aggressive driving. The CAA has a new report out on speeding. And joining us now is Michael Stewart of the CAA South Central. Morning, Michael. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. So tell me about this report. Yes, so we have been conducting this survey for about three years now, and we surveyed 1,500 Ontario drivers who have access to a vehicle. And we found this year that 51% of Ontario drivers label speeding as a big problem within the province. And that number has crept up 3% compared to last year and has increased even more compared to the first time we did this survey. Uh, So that's a very concerning trend for us. We want to remind drivers that, especially ahead of the long weekend, to follow the rules of the road. There are posted speed limits uh, that we should all be following, and that speeding is just not worth the risk. You know, Michael, I'm so surprised that it's only half. Yeah, uh, so that that is half who identify it as a big problem, but 9 in 10 drivers do uh, identify speeding as a problem overall. It's the specific uh, increase in those who determine it as a big problem. And then even when we asked Ontario drivers, uh, have they been seeing dangerous driving behaviors on the roads? 97% did say that they have seen dangerous driving behaviors on the roads, and over half did admit to participating in those behaviors themselves. Well, one of the things that I found really interesting is, as you've been citing some of the stats from this, 81% of Ontario drivers have witnessed other speedings. Only 38% admit to doing it themselves. <laughs> that doesn't seem to add up. We always tend to be, uh, it is a self-reported survey, and we always tend to think of ourselves in a, in a positive light or think that uh, we don't speed. And a lot of the people who did admit to speeding in this survey, about two-thirds of them did drive between 10 to 19 kilometers over the speed limit. And while it may seem harmless to, all, to some drivers that an additional 5, 10, or 15 kilometers above the speed limit uh, is perfectly fine, but the risks don't outweigh the benefits. According to the Traffic Injury Research Foundation, traveling even 10 kilometers over the speed limit increases the likelihood of a collision by 60%, while only saving the average driver four minutes on their commute. So it's not worth uh, going above, going over the speed limit if you're not, the amount of time you're saving isn't worth it, especially what considering the increased risk of collision uh, that there is. Well, Michael, I know I've heard this. You've probably heard it too. People saying, you know, I'm just going with the flow of traffic. 
Mm-hmm. That is a common thing that uh, drivers think. Uh, I think we're all pretty guilty of that one and thinking of, oh, if I'm only going 100 kilometers on the 401, everyone's passing me by. But it is important to remember that these roads are have been designed for these speed limits. And there are, there are parts of Ontario uh, on highways where you can travel 110 kilometers an hour. That is the posted speed limit there. But on a lot of places, it is only 100 kilometers an hour on the major 400 series highways. It's important to follow uh, those posted speed limits, especially on highways. There's a lot going on. Uh, and even sometimes a good counter argument to that is sometimes depending on where you are, I also like to say, well, how can you even get up to 100 kilometers? Because sometimes there's so much traffic. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Michael Stewart is with the uh, CAA South Central. Uh, they have a report uh, with regards to speeding, and we're talking to him in part because we're going into one of the biggest driving weekends of the year. Now, Michael, I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but I certainly have. I don't know if it's a rumor or just a belief that if you speed and you're doing uh, just under 20 clicks over the speed limit, uh, the cops are going to let it slide. That is that is definitely a rumor. Uh, you know, any uh, amount above the speed limit, you technically can still get a ticket for. Uh, police can pull you over or an automated speed enforcement camera can detect you and send you a ticket in the mail. Even if you're going one, two, or three kilometers over the speed limit, if an officer can pull you over and take you for that, the fines are not as hefty as they would be, say, if you were going 10 kilometers over, 20 kilometers over, 30 kilometers over. Uh, But there are still penalties that go hand-in-hand with speeding. And as much as, say, if you're going five kilometers over the speed limit, if that's a $60 fine, that's still $60 you could have used on something else. So, for example, Taylor Swift announced concert tickets uh, going on sale next week. I would much rather use that money towards something like that. Yeah, 60 bucks is not going to get you in to see Taylor Swift. Just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, Hamilton recently had quite a spike in serious injury or fatal accidents on two of the major thoroughfares, King and Main Street. And uh, so they, the city instituted a number of different traffic calming measures. One has been the use of photo radar. Did your report have anything to say about that? Yes, we did ask Ontario drivers about their perceptions around photo radar, and we did find that 77% of Ontario drivers do believe that automated speed enforcement can help deter speeding. But unfortunately, on the other end of that, one in four drivers do try and avoid roads with automated speed enforcement on them, and about 44% are also likely to increase their speed once they pass that camera. We also found in this survey uh, that a Approximately 1.5 million Ontario drivers have received a ticket from an automated speed enforcement camera, which, of course, is they have not been along for and they have not been around for too long. And they're not there aren't too many of them in Ontario. They are limited to community safety zones. So the fact that there is such a high number, I think, really speaks to that concern of speeding in the province and why we're here to raise awareness and just remind drivers to be considerate of their speed and drive according to speed limits to keep themselves and others safe on the road. Yeah, just calm down and slow down. You're still going to get there. Exactly. It's better to leave, give yourself plenty of time, don't be in a rush, and follow that posted speed limit, and you can get to your destination safely. Yeah, compliance is free. Uh, Michael Stewart is with the CAA South Central. We've been talking about the report with regards to speeding as we're going into one of the busiest driving weekends of the year. Michael, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.